Well, good morning. Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. Glad you are with us today. By the way, if you're a first-time guest with us, with us today, I just want to tell you how excited we are that you're here. We have a special gift for you. We'd like you to pick up at the Connection Center, which is outside on the table on your right as you leave the sanctuary. Uh, just have a special gift give you uh, as you leave. And so thank you for being with us today. Uh, I want to especially just take a moment here and especially thank those that have been participating in uh, Upward Sports. We started uh, our basketball season yesterday and it was just an absolute thrill to be sitting there in the uh, pack uh, across the street here and look across the uh, gymnasium and see dozens and dozens and dozens of families uh, that have no connection to our church yet. Uh, that may ha- not have any connection to any church or even to God I- as far as we know. And uh, I just appreciate all those who are doing that ministry. And, of course, our goal is to teach their kids a little bit about basketball and to share the gospel with them. And so uh, uh, I want to especially thank Derek and uh, James, Kendall, and Michaela for kind of heading that up. I really appreciate you all. But if you are involved in upward sports in any way, a referee, a coach, an assistant coach, a uh, uh, host family, a greeter, uh, whatever else there is. If you're involved in upward sports, would you just take a minute and stand up for a second? Nobody? Come on. Yeah, yeah. thank you, guys. Thank you. I know they're, they're all embarrassed to do that. You should see them out on the court, though. They're yelling like crazy, going nuts. But, uh, you know, they're a little shy in here. But I appreciate you all and everything you're doing there. It's a great, great ministry. Well, welcome. Glad that you are here. And today we are the third in a five-week series talking about seeing things God's way. In the last two weeks, we've talked about seeing love uh, God's way and seeing relationships God's way. And today we're going to talk about uh, seeing gender uh, God's way. Uh, Before we get into that specific topic, we've got a verse that we're kind of looking at through the whole series to kind of just anchor this this series together. And so let's talk about that verse first. It's in Proverbs 16, 25. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. Now that's an incredibly interesting verse because what it says really is, uh, listen, there is a way that seems logical. There is a way when you talk about it and you think about it, this seems to be the right way. But the fact is, that way that seems so right will lead eventually to death. And that word death means uh, separation, separation in your relationships, separation in your relationship to God, and eventually eternal separation from God if you continue on that path. And so there is a way that seems totally right. It just isn't. And that means we need to look at the way we see things. Uh, We want to see things through God's lens. If we had a pair of of God glasses, uh, we could put those on. And really, indeed, we do have uh, kind of a pair of God glasses right here. Because he doesn't hide his will from us. He doesn't hide his word from us. He gives it to us. And so uh, we're going to continue thinking about this verse. And the reality is the way we see things matters because it leads to our conclusions about life. If we see things things through our own eyes, we're going to come to one set of conclusions. But if we see things through God's eyes, we come to a whole different set of conclusions. But before we go on, I want us to take an opportunity again this week to read this verse together because I want you to have this verse memorized by the time we finish this series. So let's say Proverbs 16.25 together. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So you keep thinking about that, keep memorizing that, and thinking about that throughout the week. 
Uh, listen, uh, today's uh, sermon, you may think, well, wait a minute, why are we talking about gender? I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the church's pet peeve right now, right? I mean, it's kind of the church's uh, thing to get mad about. That's not why we're talking about it, okay? This, the reason, the reason this is in this series is because it's a response. 25 years ago, probably would never preach on this subject. In fact, I can't remember a time 25 years ago where I heard a sermon on this subject. And the reason was there was a common understanding about the topic. But now we have to talk about these things because society and our culture is normalizing behavior that has never been normal before, in a sense. And gender confusion is running rampant in our society. You know, when I was a kid, I remember watching the Olympics. And Bruce Jenner, one of my childhood heroes, won the Olympic decathlon, the hardest Olympic event ever. Because it's really a decathlon. It's 10 events. And the guy who scores the best in 10 events wins the Olympic gold medal. He was the first American to do it. His picture was on the Wheaties box, and he was world famous. Now Bruce has become Caitlin. He's become a a spokesman for transgenderism by becoming a woman with his own TV show about being a transgender. But guys, these things are not, they're not just prevalent in way off California or way off New York City. Okay, right here in our own backyard, Oak Park High School recently made the national news. I don't know if you saw this or not. You probably did. Because they voted a transgender boy to be their homecoming queen. In fact, my sources tell me, people that were there, said that the student section of the crowd went wild when he was announced the winner, while the parent section was very quiet and just kind of shook their head. Now listen, if you're an Oak Park student, I don't want to lump you in with everybody else. Okay, I don't know that you were there, I don't know how you voted, but the the, the student body as a whole voted this way. Now that's not the end of it. This Thursday, the Westboro Baptist Church is coming to Oak Park High School to pick it, and the students are already planning an anti-picket protest. So we'll be in the national news again this week because of this particular topic. Folks, we cannot nor should we avoid this issue because it's right here all around us. We have to understand uh, what it is, and we have to understand how God sees it. So where do we start? Or we could just quote some Old Testament laws from Leviticus and and call it a day and and say, oh, those people are a bunch of sinners. But I don't think that's the best way to to handle this. Do we do a whole series to talk about homosexuality one week and then transgenders the next week and then LGBTQ issues and on and on and on? Do we do an entire year-long sermon series dealing with all 58 gender choices now on Facebook? That's right. When you start a Facebook account now, you have 58 gender choices. Now, I started my Facebook, I think, about seven or eight years ago. There were two choices. Now there are 58. I think there are some biblical principles that we can look at that will help us with all of these specific issues. And so let's get busy. Let's start here. Truth exists, and it is absolute. Let's look quickly at three biblical passages that speak about truth. John 8, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is found in God's word. Here we see in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then here Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is is truth. Folks, we cannot avoid the fact that truth exists and it is absolute. It never changes. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, so His Word never changes, so His truth never changes. Now think about the command for a minute, do not murder. I think we all kind of figure out what that means here. If I uh, walk into my next door neighbor and shoot him with a gun and kill him, I've committed murder. We're all against that, right? I I hope. Uh, Now, what about a woman in a far-off country, maybe in the central part of Africa, a a woman who thinks that it's a great thing to be a virgin sacrifice? Uh, Maybe in her culture, it's the highest honor to annually be, uh, one person be annually sacrificed for the community. Maybe her family feels like this is the highest honor to allow our daughter to be killed uh, in worship of some pagan god for our community. Does that make it right? What if everybody there believes that it's right? What if everybody there thinks that it's the best and highest of honors to be this person? And especially the one who gets to sacrifice sacrifice her. He is the highest honor. Does that make it right? No. Murder is wrong. It's always wrong. It's wrong in every situation. Now, I didn't say killing, because we, we can talk about that another day. But murdering someone, murder, murdering an innocent person, is always wrong. Why? Because our culture says so? No, because God says so. He gets to decide. We don't. Whether you agree or you disagree, The fact is, truth exists. Our children are being taught from an early age now that they get to define truth. Truth gets to be whatever they say it is. They get to define it, and it's okay if they think it's one way and their neighbor thinks it's something else. If one kid thinks 2 plus 2 is 4 and another kid thinks 2 plus 2 is 5, it's okay. They get to decide what's true for them. What? That's a crazy mixed up world, folks. It really is. When we think about it in the context of truth, the fact is truth exists. It's our job to discover it, to find it, not to define it. God's already decided what truth is. And then, of course, here's the other side of this coin. Our feelings are unreliable when it comes to the matter of truth. Look, our feelings lie to us all the time. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how our feelings will lie about love and how they'll lie about relationships. We've talked about one of the keys to Christianity is to act on what we know to be true, not just what we feel is true. Look at the series verse again, Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There are some things we absolutely think and feel are the right things to do, but they contradict God's word and they will lead to separation in our relationships with others and with him. And then look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, The heart 
is deceitful above all, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In the King James Version, it says it's, it's wicked instead of sick. Above all things. It's just, it's just deceitful. Who can understand it? What that means is, hey, who can, who can control it? Who can control how they feel about every single thing? We can't do that. Now, we can control how we act according to our feelings, but we can't control how we feel about things. Our experience and our understanding outside of God's word is completely fallible. Let's think about these guys this week. When you put an astronaut inside an anti-gravity chamber at NASA and you say, hey, after you've been in there a few hours, can I convince him that maybe gravity doesn't exist anymore? Perhaps. His experience tells him that there's no gravity. Maybe he comes to the conclusion that gravity doesn't exist. Is he right? No, he's not. Gravity does still exist. Now, he's in a chamber that especially, you know, does a special thing to take it away. He may believe that it's gone. He may believe there's no more gravity on the planet, but it still exists. It doesn't matter what he believes. Folks, we we live in a culture that says it doesn't matter uh, what you believe as long as you believe it strongly. As long as you're really convinced in it. It's important to believe a lot. God says it's just the opposite. He said it doesn't matter how much you believe, even a tiny bit, about the size of a mustard seed. If you believe that much, but in the right thing, that's what's important. Satan is doing his best to use circumstances and experiences and even relationships around us to confuse us about reality. And so let's look at this issue with these two things firmly planted in our brains. Truth exists and it's absolute and our feelings are unreliable when it comes to the matter of truth so we can't rely on them. Now here's where I want to start when we think about this issue. God created male and female with their respective roles. I think instead of like uh, saying all these things are wrong, let's look at what's right first. Let's look at what's right Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28 says this. By the way, this is for all men, not just men with one leg. I just noticed this over here. Okay, So don't let that throw you off. If you're a man here and you've got both legs, this still applies to you. All right, I want you to see that. All right, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God himself created mankind. He created them male and female, two specific genders. That's what he created. He also gave them a a command there. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He's saying reproduce, make more like you, and fill the earth with human beings. Folks, you can't do that except with a man and a woman. 
And in this language, I want you to see, it doesn't say a human and a human. It's not giving us the option to fill in the blank. There is one option, one man and one woman. Look at Genesis chapter 2. God goes into more detail about how he did this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, Whoa, man! Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And the real uh, proper interpretation of that word woman is kind of, whoa, man, okay? That's, Adam was pretty impressed with what God did there. What we see here are some very specifics of how God did this. He said, hey, Adam needs a helper that's a perfect fit for him. Perfect fit for him. You remember the movie Jerry Maguire? You complete me. You know, that's kind of what God's saying here. He's saying, I'm going to create a perfect complement that will be the perfect fit for this man, this woman. And then he says also, because of this, a man shall leave his mom and his dad. He's going to leave a home that has a mother and a father, and he's going to hold fast to his wife. This man will leave his mom and dad and join himself to a wife. There's no gender neutral language here. It's very clear and specific. And it says they'll become one flesh. And that doesn't just mean physically, as we talk about in, in premarital counseling and marital counseling, when we talk and preach about marriage, it's, it's one flesh, one, it's oneness physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, in every way, shape, or form. One man and one woman comes together and they find this oneness that takes place. Yes, they're two, two different individuals, but they have this unique oneness that takes place in this relationship. We looked at this passage last week about relationships in Colossians 3. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We see here even more how God has created male and female with their respective roles. Uh, By the way, I just got to say this every time we talk about this, because I don't know if you were here last week, and I don't know if you were here two weeks ago, but every time the Bible says that a woman should submit to her husband, it doesn't say women submit to men as a whole. It says this one woman should submit to this one man, her her husband, and it's not a position of subservience or or being the maid. She's going to respect her husband's leadership. And then it says, husbands, love your wives. Really, really love them. Then in this particular passage, it also says, Hey, dads, take the lead in discipline and do it right. Do it right. Do it so your kids don't hate you at the end, but they love you for disciplining them and teaching them the right way to live. There are specific roles that God has created in the home, one man and one woman, this very masculine person who has specific ways that they fulfill their role, and this one very feminine person, how they specifically fulfill their role. We can't get around that, folks. This is the one model that the Bible shows. 
But the other thing is we see the marriage roles are a word picture of Christ and the church. Now we look at this passage, uh, Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33, quite a bit because it does show uh, what a husband should do and what a wife should do. And here we see the wife should submit to the husband and then the husband should love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. And then at the end, the wife respects her husband. Instead of uh, submitting by obedience, she now has learned to respect him. But I want you to read this passage with me again and I want you to think about how God has created this marriage relationship with one purpose in mind, which is to show us a picture of the church and Jesus and how they relate to one another. You know one of the most significant things that's happened in my life, in my relationship with God, to help me understand who God is, is when I had a daughter. When I became a father, my understanding of God, just, it just blew up. I mean, I, I learned so much more about loving someone, uh, uh, totally unconditionally. No matter what crazy, foolish thing she did that made me hot under the collar, I still loved her. Wanting somebody so desperately to do the right thing and have a great life, to discipline her and love her through that discipline. I learned so much about God by having a daughter. And what God's saying is, folks, I created this marriage not just so you guys could procreate on the earth and have this relationship with one another, but so you could get a picture of what it looks like of how Jesus and the church relate to one another. Think about that as we read this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When you're thinking about that ahead of time, uh, that it talks about this relationship between Christ and the church, it really helps us understand the whole passage a lot better. It's been a picture the whole time. Before Christ came to the earth, before the church existed, God had already created this relationship between a man and a woman that would be a perfect picture for mankind of the relationship between Jesus and the church. So we see that marriage, those marriage roles, are a word picture. Now listen to me. A rejection of the goodness of those creational realities is a revolt against God's lordship and against the picture of the gospel that God has embedded in the creation itself. Do you understand what I'm saying? A rejection of these roles, even if you have a, a man and a woman married to one another and, and, and he's the one submitting and she's the one leading and loving, 
Even, even upside down, you have now decided that you're going to uh, do something really against God's creation, against what God made it to be from the very beginning. Folks, if we get to that place, we're in, we're in bad shape. We're in bad shape. So let's not do that. Let's order our lives the way God says to order them. Now I know you're like, well, when are we going to talk about gender? Right now, okay. Listen, gender confusion in all of its forms is a temptation to sin against God-created and defined roles. God created the roles, God's defined the roles, and anything outside of those roles is a temptation to commit sin. Homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenders, asexuality, transsexuals, whichever one you choose, it's an affront to God and his expressed creation of roles as defined by his word. I specifically say temptation because unless you act on that temptation, it is not a sin. And there's some confusion in our society because the world has redefined the terms. Look at Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way possible. Every way that a human can be tempted, Jesus was tempted. And yet he did not commit sin. So when a person uh, says, I am attracted to someone of the same uh, gender, They haven't committed a sin. Now, the world would say at that moment when they declare it or when they feel it, they actually are homosexual. The Bible doesn't say that. We wouldn't call a person who is tempted to steal but never does it a thief. We would never call them a thief. We would never call them a kleptomaniac. If they say, every time I go to the mall, I'm tempted to steal everything in that place, but I never do, we wouldn't call them a kleptomaniac. We'd call them victorious, (laughs) right? So, so it's not a sin to be tempted outside of these gender roles. But it is a sin to give in to that temptation and fulfill that temptation. Let's see what the New Testament says outside of what is natural. Outside of these roles and out of what is the natural thing uh, for a man and woman's body. Look what it says in Romans. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They not only practice what is unnatural, but they give approval to others who do it. It says they have parades and celebrations that celebrate their sinfulness. Does that sound familiar? It says they have flags and banners to rally behind and communicate their sinfulness. Now think about that for a minute. If I told you that I knew of a group of people who, who told me that they were born liars, they've lied their whole lives, and they've now decided to get together, and they're going to have liar parades, and they've picked out a liar flag, and they would like us all to embrace their lying ways. And so we know that these, if they're a part of these born liars, they're just going to always lie. And we can trust one thing, that nothing they say is true. And they're going to continue to lie, and they'd like us to embrace that behavior. We would say, what? That, that blows my mind. I, I, can't even, I can't even think of a situation like that. But that's what's happening to those who are gender confused. By the way, if you want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It mentions some specific sins in there, including homosexuality. Be careful when you read those passages. It says homosexuality and along with drunkenness and several others. It says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. What it means in that passage is not, hey, I kind of lost control and I got drunk once in college. I can't go to heaven. It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is if these behaviors characterize your life, if your life is totally and completely consumed by this sinfulness, You can't possibly have a relationship with God. That's what it's saying. Being tempted to commit sin in any of its forms is the same thing, guys. Gender confusion is simply another temptation to do contrary to God and His standards. It's no better than other sins. It's no worse than other sins. Giving in to that temptation, though, is sinful and must be avoided before committing it, hopefully, and then repented of after. If a man or a woman is attracted to people of the same sex, they have not committed a sin. I want to make sure that we understand that. And I would say that they are not even gay or lesbian unless they give in to that temptation and practice sin. Now, for those who claim to be transgender, and, and I'm saying this as lovingly as I can, they have simply lost touch with reality. Okay? Listen, I'm not a psychologist. I don't pretend to be one. I don't want to try to be one. But listen, these people have lost touch with the truth about themselves. And they attempt to alter and disfigure their body to promote a delusion about who they really are. Think about that for a minute. Someone who who says, I was born in a man's body, but I've always felt like a woman. Someone who was born in a woman's body, but says, I've always felt like a man. Now, I'm not doing this to mock anybody or to make fun of anybody. I'm trying to simply prove a point. If I were to tell you that since I was a little boy, I have always felt incredibly royal. And when I was a child, instead of playing with uh, trucks and cars, I played with a sepulcher. And uh, every time the royals came on television, I felt like I really identified with them. And so, I'm coming out today to let you know of my royalty. 
So after today, I would like you to no longer refer to me as Pastor Michael, but your highness. Or King Michael would be all right. And by the way, when you leave today, I don't want you to shake my hand any longer. I prefer that you genuflect and kiss my ring. Now, why are you laughing? Why? You're laughing because you say, Michael, you've lost touch with reality. Right? I mean, I've heard some pretty crazy things come out of your mouth, but this is the worst. You'd think I've lost my mind in a sense. What I'm doing there is saying, listen, I feel a certain way, so I want you to embrace the fact that I've lost touch with reality. And, and your snickering proves that it's, you know, it's, it's a little out of touch. Folks, don't you understand that this is exactly what's happening to a transgender person? They look in the mirror and they say, there's a man's body, but I feel like a woman. I'm going to go against science. I'm going to go against what everybody in the universe knows as logical. I'm going to go against what is absolute truth. And I'm going to say I'm somebody that I'm not. Now, folks, I don't think they're doing this on purpose. I, don't, I think this is just a part of sin. This is how they're tempted. This is the cross they have to bear. And by the way, uh, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I, I, I think people are born this way. I think that it's very likely, very likely that people are born to be tempted in this particular manner. Because I think all of us are born to be tempted in a particular manner. None of you in this room are tempted in every way like Jesus was. None of you are tempted to steal, to murder, to... to I mean, all, you, nobody's tempted to do everything. But I've talked to enough people, and I've been around people long enough. I'll bet you, if you got really, really honest with me, there's one or two things that have plagued you your whole life. I know there's one or two things that have plagued me my whole life. Before I became a Christian, and even after becoming a Christian, they still knock on my door on a regular basis. I'm never tempted to steal. I can go into any store in town. I'm just not tempted to steal, ever. But those one or two things, I'm tempted a lot. And I'm telling you, uh, I've said this before, but I'm telling you, you could go and watch these kids that are two, three, four years old right over here, and I'll bet for half of them, you could pick out what it is they're going to struggle with the rest of their lives. Some of them will look you right in the face and lie to you. Someone will come from a home that's very loving and they'll be in there punching and kicking and biting other kids. Like, where did they learn this violence? What's going on with this? They're little sinners. They're little three and four-year-old lovely, cute little sinners is what they are. And there's something that they're going to be tempted with their whole lives. Folks, I think it might be possible that people are, you know, science may find that there's a, there's a, there's a gay gene, they, talk, they call it. Maybe, maybe these people are born that, that struggle with gender problems. Maybe there's something in their DNA. Uh, maybe God or, will eventually reveal to us that there's something in our DNA that will talk about our sin or point out our sin. But if there's a gay gene, I'll bet there's a liar gene and a stealer gene and an adultery gene and a lusting gene. And when they find our gene with our particular sin, are we going to say, ah, oh, I was born this way. Now I got a license. 
They found the stealer gene. Now I can go to the mall and I can steal whatever I want, whenever I want, and everybody just needs to be okay with it because that's who I was born to be. I'm just fulfilling God's will. Folks, it doesn't matter whether people are born this way or whether they learn this behavior or whether, where they get it or how it comes upon them. It doesn't matter. The behavior is still wrong. Now, I hope this has helped you to understand the place that God's word and how God sees this issue. But there's one thing I want you to, to see before you go today, and that's this. Christians should respond with truth wrapped in love and grace. Guys, we must stand for the truth. We can't do anything else. We can't call ourselves Christian and take this book and just throw it out the window and say, it doesn't matter. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to do it. I don't have to think it's right. Look, these are not conservative values I'm talking about. They aren't even traditional values. They aren't old-fashioned values. They aren't outdated values. They are biblical, godly values that God says in his word. We must stand up for the truth in every social situation. I shared with you a few weeks ago about President Reagan. He said his biggest failure as a politician, biggest failure by far, his biggest failure was when he was governor of California and he approved the no-fault divorce. First state to do it. Within two decades, every state in the union had uh, uh, made it legal for no-fault divorce. And the divorce rate went from 12% up to about 50%. And when he seized the country, or when he saw the country in the shape that it's in, with single moms and, and, and children born out of wedlock and families breaking up, he said, that was my biggest failure, was ever signing that bill. Folks, we have a tendency to think in our minds, hey, I'm not gay, my kids aren't gay, We're, I'm not transgender, my kids aren't transgender. What difference does it make? It's their business. Let them do it. Folks, that's just not right. We don't live in a bubble or a cocoon. Those things affect the culture that we live in. If you don't believe me, you ask President Reagan. He would have told you that. But along with the truth must come a package of love and grace. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Folks, we can't be fellowship of judgment. We can't be fellowship of ridicule. We can't be fellowship of bullying. We are fellowship of grace. People who are struggling with gender confusion, they just shouldn't be bullied in any way, shape, or form. Think about this. Before we became Christians, how did we hope God and other people would respond to our sin? Hmm. Think about that. You know, the question about church membership always comes up. Does Fellowship of Grace allow people with gender confusion to become members? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, anybody can attend our church. Uh, we don't do any kind of screening at the door. Anybody can come in. Anybody can sit here and attend services anytime they want. When you want to become a member, if a person came to us and said, listen, I... I a struggle with transgender issues, and uh, I'm going to continue to do I, I embrace them. I want you to embrace them. I'm going to continue living this way, and uh, you just need to be okay with it. Can I be a member? The answer is no, you cannot. 
But if they come to Fellowship of Grace and they say, hey, listen, I struggle with transgender issues. I know they're wrong. I try to repent of it. I've given my life to Jesus, but I struggle still. And I'm not guaranteeing you that I won't even fail at times. But I want to be a part of this fellowship. The answer is yes, come on in with the rest of us sinners. But listen, guys, we're not picking on that sin. It's the same for all sins. If somebody comes here and says, hey, listen, uh, I have a problem with my violence and I beat my wife and kids and I'm going to keep doing it and I want you to embrace it and, and I just want you to be okay with it, can I be a member? No, you can't. You can't. But if you say, listen, I've got a problem with my temper and I get out of hand sometimes and I even hit my wife and kids sometimes and I am so sorry and I want to repent of this and I want to do it differently with God's help, will you let me be a part of this fellowship? Absolutely. It's the fact of whether they're repentant or whether they're embracing a sinful lifestyle. You know, I know the media shows all the wonderful celebration things with gender confusion. You know, oh, let's celebrate that they're, they're, they're coming out, they're being who they really are, they get freedom, they get all this stuff. There's a clip I saw this week of a, a Dr. Phil show that hasn't, I don't think it's been aired yet. It's just been filmed. And he's uh, interviewing a father who raised this young man. He was involved in sports and stuff as a teenager. He went into the military. Uh, he spent several years in the military, uh, married a woman. I think they had a couple of kids. And now he comes back from the military and he says, now I'm transgender. And Dr. Phil's talking to this man, and this man is broken, broken. He says, I've been a failure as a father. What have I done? What did I do to my son to give him this issue or this problem? And maybe nothing. But this man is totally broken. And then they have this young man come out and he sees his son for the first time dressed as a woman. And he just loses it. Loses it. And Dr. Phil says something very interesting. He says, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that people don't have the right to do what they want to do. Even Jesus gave people the right to do what they want. People have the right to reject him if they want to. But what Dr. Phil said was, what I want you to see is this one person celebrating their individualism, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. In almost every one of these situations, there are broken relationships. Even in the whole Bruce Jenner thing, his wife is now distraught over what he's done. His kids are having a hard time figuring out how they've lost their dad in some way. And, and now this new person's kind of in their life and it's, it's just strange and weird for them and they don't know what to do. Their, their, their relationships are damaged because of sinfulness. Listen, for those who come through our doors without Christ, we should offer them the gospel, love, acceptance, and friendship. Not acceptance of their behavior, but acceptance of them as a person. For those who are Christians but struggle, we should offer them grace and mercy and forgiveness the same way we want it when our sin becomes public. How do we want to be treated? Listen, folks, the Bible is very clear. Our fight is not with other people. Our fight is not with people. It's with the forces of darkness. I wrapped this box. I know you can't wait to get a Christmas gift from me. I wrapped this box to be representative of the Westboro Baptist Church. You know, inside, there's a gift that's really pretty, pretty good. If you read Westboro Baptist Church's doctrine, they believe homosexuality is wrong. I agree 
they think that those who practice those things and never repent and come to Christ will spend an eternity separated from him. I think that's 100% correct. The things they believe are pretty on track, but they wrap it in such an ugly, hideous box of hate and, and, and criticism and judgment that nobody would ever open this box. This isn't a present. This is trash. Folks, we need to stand for the truth. We don't whittle the edges. We don't let the, we don't let the culture tell us the right thing. God tells us the right thing. But folks, we need to wrap that in a box of love and mercy and grace. The world will say that we're embracing tradition. We know that we're embracing truth. The world will say that we're going to be on the losing side of history. I've had some friends tell me that. We know that we're already on the grave-crushed, victorious side of history. We have to stand with the one who entered history and shattered it. That's where we have to stand. And we must stand there totally and completely unshakable, folks. I hope, that, I hope you're hearing the balance in that. That we have to stand for what the Bible says God is right all the time. But we have to communicate that in a loving and caring way so that we can help everybody who comes through those doors, who's riddled with sin, no matter what it is, help them to come to find Jesus and get victory over their temptations. And then when they fail at times, offer them mercy and grace just like we want. I hope you hear the balance in this. But folks, don't get sucked into the, the lie that all of this is okay. Just because there's more people on the side of wrong doesn't make it right. This week, if I, if I left some questions unanswered, if you have some questions about gender issues that uh, I didn't answer today, uh, put them on your connection card. Leave them in the basket in the back. And I'm going to do a blog post this week to follow up the sermon and uh, answer those questions if I haven't done that. Uh, folks, I hope, I hope that this makes sense to you. I hope you realize that we have to stand with the truth, but we have to be uh, communicating in a loving and caring way. If people get angry about the message, they have an issue with God. But if they get angry at the package it's wrapped in, that's our fault. So let's wrap that in as loving and a caring package as we can with the truth fully inside that gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us great insight to the truth. Father, thank you for just helping us to see things your way. Not because we aren't uh, able to come up with an opinion, but because you're just right. Father, in the areas of our life that we struggle with because of our own particular relationships, our own particular situation, God, when it becomes hard for us to accept your truth, Help us do it anyway. Help us really live lives that are based on a choosing the truth instead of living by our feelings. God, we thank you that you have not left us here to figure this out on our own, but you have given us your word and your spirit. Father, help us to be a light to this community. 
Help us to be loving to those who have uh, uh, any sinful ways in their lives. Help us to just be loving toward them. Help us to, to accept them in as our friends and, and, and just love them as we share the gospel with them. And Father, even then, after they become Christians, when they fall, help us to be there to encourage one another. We may be the next one to fall. And so help us to encourage each other, to help each other, to just encourage each other and, and spurn each other on to good works. Father, thank you for this wonderful, loving fellowship of people that I know it's their desire to be. Help us to fulfill that. In Jesus' name, 